What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Sacramento. Three on one. Bagley the step. Bagley with the dunk. And you can put it in the book and send it to the left. There it is. Buddy Hill alone at the top of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brendan Nunez. I have my regular co-host here today, Rich. How are you doing today, man? What up, what up? I am doing good, man. Uh, Good to hear from you and excited about our guest today. Yeah, and speaking of, we have Bryant West, one of the Sacktown Royalty guys. How are you doing today, Bryant? I'm great, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. All right, so the game plan for this episode, we were going to break down last year's draft all the way back to 2015 from what i've been told you're a little bit of a draft expert brian uh, i'd like to pretend that sitting on a couch and watching 40 50 60 uh, college basketball games a year makes me somewhat educated but i'm sure we will go over my official draft boards uh speak less of my drafting abilities <laughs> than i well, think my ego would well, I mean, that's it's one of those things that comes with the territory, right? Like, you, yeah. it's essentially predicting the future. And so I think that you take on a, a pretty tough role for STR. Being the draft guy is like you're automatically going to get the most stuff wrong just by default because no one, no one can predict how these guys are going to translate. But you do a better job than most. No, thank you. Well, if you can't look back and see why you were wrong about some guy, then you just shouldn't be sharing your opinions anyway. There you go. I mean, you probably have done a better job in your predictions than most of the Kings have throughout their years, though. (laughs) I I do like to think that uh, if I had been GMing the Kings in uh, 2010, we would have uh, drafted Kawhi Leonard. Instead of Mr. Jimmer Fredette. So I'll always hang my hat on that one. That feels like an upgrade. I don't know. I'm just thinking that bit. feels like one. Yeah. A little bit. Let's start with this most recent draft because obviously uh, it was a big one. And the Kings in 2018, this past summer, chose Marvin Bagley at the two slot. I want to get your feeling here. I know there was a lot of talk about Luka Doncic. There was a lot of debate in that top five. But... I mean, who who was your who were your top five, and who would you have taken at number two? Well, I was captaining the Luca bandwagon a year ago. Uh, he was the top ranked player on my board. Uh, he was followed by um, DeAndre Ayton and then Jaron Jackson Jr. And I had Michael Porter Jr. at four, but retroactively, I would like to just strike that from the record because we had no idea that Michael Porter Jr. was going to have immediate surgery the second time. So knowing that Marvin Bagley would have been fourth. I believe there's even audio evidence of me saying, I'm glad my job wasn't on the line when they picked uh, Marvin Bagley, which shows you just how uh, optimistic I was when they took him over uh, Luka Doncic. But skip forward a year, and I think this topic has only become more complicated, which is a good thing for Sacramento. Luka's going to win Rookie of the Year. He should win Rookie of the Year. And I'd still say, gun to my head, I think he has the best chance of becoming the best player out of this class. But what I will say is after watching all of these guys play in the NBA for a year, and especially watching Bagley, 
I don't think that Luca is clearly the long-term best player anymore. I think over the next few years, whoever ends up being the right pick for Sacramento, it, it's kind of more of a coin flip now. And while Luca's going to get all the accolades and the hype that he clearly deserves, and honestly, any Kings fan trying to diminish what he's done in this last year is just kidding themselves. It's vital to point out Marvin Bagley had himself a hell of a rookie year. He showcased a ton of developments as a scorer, uh, as a shooter, and as a defender. And aside from De'Aaron Fox, there isn't a dude on this team that I'm more excited to watch develop. I'm stealing this line from my buddy uh, Rob Hessing from Sacktown Royalty. Bagley might not be the right pick, but he was a right pick. It's not a tier difference anymore. If you have to go forward, I honestly am comfortable having Marvin Bagley. Uh, this team is going to be seriously improved in a year when he gets a full NBA offseason to develop and get starter minutes. To me, I feel like Luca has the highest floor out of that top five, but there's a real debate that the highest ceiling could be Marvin Bagley. Like all the tools are there, the athleticism, the length. He just, at the same time, is very raw. So there's a lot of upside, but I mean, do you think that, say there was the Luka pick, is it difficult to put him next to Fox? Like Fox probably wouldn't have had this same breakout year if Luka is sharing the ball handling duties with him, right? Well, I wouldn't think that Fox would have had quite as stellar a year if he hadn't had the usage rate that he did. Um, I definitely think that is a fair uh, criticism of taking Luca, but I also don't think that in the long run it would have really been a detriment to De'Aaron Fox. And I, in fact, I think that having such a, a capable uh, high usage shooter and creator would probably have developed Fox to become a star in other ways. I never subscribed that. Uh, they would have been a bad fit together just because we've seen, you know, the best team in the NBA has more than one high usage rate guy. And sure, that's going to be a little difficult for young players who are very used to controlling the ball, and especially in a situation where, you know, it's a young team trying to figure themselves out. So I don't know that Fox would have been this good this year if they'd taken Luca, but I really don't think that long-term it would have been a detriment to Fox. Now, what I do accept that I didn't last year was that there is a chance that Fox's ceiling is higher having a guy like uh, Marvin Bagley who can run the floor as fast as he can. Because as much as I love Luka Doncic and as much as I love his creativity and his ability to shoot, it, Marvin Bagley just fits the we're going hyperspeed all the time better than Luka Doncic did. And that's just a straight fact. So. Uh, I don't think it would have been a detriment to Fox, but I'm very excited to see how these two develop long-term. When it comes to making this pick for the Kings, do you think that this was a pure who's the best player available type of deal, or do you think that fit and style of play, tempo, do you think that those played a significant role? I think those probably played somewhat of a role, especially cons- – I mean, we knew – we know now that the Kings were already really high on De'Aaron Fox coming out of last year. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of uh, the criticisms of the Luka pick, including mine, stemmed from, you know, if, if you're putting all your eggs in De'Aaron Fox's basket after last year, you know, which was a, a rocky rookie season, one that I wrote that I think thought he would – still become a star i didn't think he'd become it as quickly as he has but if you were betting you know what we have to choose this number two pick based off of how our rookie did last year yeah i I imagine that was probably in the kinks calculus more than it was for armchair scouts and outside people just because i know that they trusted in fox's development more than a lot of us did but you know the old saying you just take the best player available and i would have hoped at the end of the day that vladi would have honestly thought that the best player in the long term could have been marvin bagley i hope he thought that on draft night i hope he still thinks that it's interesting there's an argument for both sides of it there certainly and i think hoping that it's a coin toss in terms of the long run between luca and marvin I think that's a little bit optimistic, but I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that's true. 
I was curious about, I mentioned a guy like Jaron Jackson Jr. And it seemed like he's, he was lower and he still is lower on your list of guys from this class. Is that, is that pretty much how it plays out for you? Well, he was third on my big board. He was ahead of Marvin Bagley. Oh, I'm Um, sorry. And, you know, it's a it's pretty hard because that team was uh, was more of a mess than Sacramento in terms of they don't really have an identity other than hey what are we going to do with these uh, seniors are we going to do anything about them so I feel like it was a little easier for Kings fans to get excited about Marvin Bagley flourishing with this hyper speed running team than um, you know looking back at Jaron Jackson it'd probably be easier to question well which of these really has the higher ceiling but i love jaron jackson jr i will always love jaron jackson jr i think he's going to be a a absolute two-way stud i think it's probably a little easier to build your team around him just because he can do so much more on the defensive end Uh, marvin bagley has certainly been a better defender than he was at duke and he certainly cares a lot more than i think he did when he was in college uh, but Jaron Jackson Jr. is just going to be an insane defender. And while Marvin Bagley has absolutely become twice the shooter that he was in college, and especially towards the end of the season when he started shooting like crazy, it was amazing to see just how far that shot's developed. You know, it's probably a little easier to um, think, to trust Jaron Jackson Jr.'s shooting just because he's had more of it over the last two years. So I don't know. The, the difference between those two is really a coin flip. Uh, if you put a gun to my head, I'm, I'm, I'm probably still taking Luke over Marvin Bagley. But those two, it, it's a coin flip to me at this point. And I absolutely love Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, for me, like you said, I mean, the Jaron Jackson Jr. defense is clearly better. But I don't feel like he necessarily has that potential of being a number one option offensively yeah. like I think Bagley does. I agree. And th- that was a big criticism of him last year. Um, I thought that there was a lot at Michigan State that was uh, holding him back. Uh, and I will, I will I'm going to hope that next year Memphis is going to give him uh, as many shots as anybody else on the team, because I really think that there is a chance that he can become that kind of guy. He's certainly got a mentality for for greatness, but he's not really shown the level of I'm going to just dunk on this guy like Marvin Bagley has. So there's certainly a mentality that Marvin Bagley has that it, I think speaks to your point there that uh, if you need the guy to become your superstar scorer, then yeah, Marvin Bagley's probably the guy. If you want a more two-way complete player, then I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably the dude. This might be interesting to say or hard to believe who are removed a year for a year before this, but I feel like Bagley has a better chance with what he's got around him, with the culture around him, with the style. And I feel like he's got a better environment than Jaron Jackson Jr. does right now in Memphis. Yeah, I would agree. But that's never not going to be funny to hear somebody say, Sacramento's got the better culture and, <laughs> and winning mentality around them after the last 13 years. Yeah, it is pretty rough. Yeah, the Grizzlies have made some nice picks uh, over a few years. And I know they got another guy that you liked in the second round in Javon Carter. Um, what did you think of – he didn't quite slide to where the Kings could have taken him, but what did you think of the Kings' decision to trade out of pick 37 last year? Well, it's funny. I think that Javon Carter would have been one of those guys that if he had lasted to 37, Sack would have been like, yeah, we're going to keep our pick and take him. I don't really understand trading out of pick uh, 37 last year, uh, mainly because – I was a huge D'Anthony Melton guy. He was 15th on my board last year, and he fell in the second round. I'm curious to see how much run he gets next year because clearly his mediocre shooting kept him off the floor this year, even for a team that desperately needed guard play. But I bought into Melton's point of attack defensive ability. And while he showed all the warts a rookie guard normally goes through, I'm confident that he can be at least become a solid sixth-man guard. And he fills a need, a need that Sacramento has in the backcourt. You know, they really don't have that hyper elite point of attack athlete. 
Uh, De'Aaron Fox became more of that guy this year, but I think they could have used a better defender off the bench than they had. And the other obvious dude uh, is uh, Kuruch playing for the Nets. I didn't really watch enough of him when he was playing for Barcelona last year, which is a shame because he is an absolute beast. He was another super smart snag by the Nets, one of the smarter teams in the league. And either one of those guys would have been much better for, I mean, both of them could have filled real roles for Sacramento this year. So I'm kind of curious that Kings traded out of 37. Yeah. Other guys that kind of interest me a little bit would be like a Svi Mikhailuk or Keita Bates Diop, even though oh, I don't yeah. really know the fit there. But I think that those two guys also fell to late 40s that would have been interesting and nice pickups for any NBA team, really. I mean, also actually seeing here, there's a Bruce Brown who's been starting. Yeah, I was really high on Bruce Brown going into the his last year in college, but he had a, a pretty rocky year. And so I'm kind of glad he's turned it around with Detroit. But yeah, any one of those dudes that you named could have really helped Sacramento. Even Keita Bates D, uh, you know, a little bit of a positional quandary, but still could have helped Sacramento. Certainly more than I think uh, a future pick could. I mean, this is a young team. Add young players. Yeah, that was a weird one because there was a lot of guys that felt like they would address needs. There is a lot of defensive point guards, you know, Melton defensive guards. Uh, Bruce Brown has played some nice defense this year. And then those rangier, there were just wings. And I remember just wanting this team to like add a 6'8 guy, just like any 6'8 <laughs> body. And that didn't happen. So overall for 2018, don't want to put you too much on the spot. But as for right now, how would you grade that that draft? Well, everything's going to change in the next two years. But I, you know, a year ago, I would have I would have given the Kings a much harsher grade. But you know what? I I have really seen a lot of development from Marvin Bagley. I've seen what they intended to do with him well i know a lot of that's going to change now that luke walton's at the helm but uh they clearly had a, a a game plan of pairing him with fox and and i love the potential of that team for the future of that duo for the future so i'm gonna give them b plus and you know a couple years maybe luca's become this absolute hyper star that makes us regret this or maybe marvin bagley becomes the Chris Bosch, Amari Stoudemire combo that we keep dreaming he is, and we don't even ever think about Luca again. But I think the main thing is that it's just too early for anybody on either side of that debate to have entrenched absolute uh, opinions because, I mean, <laughs> these, young, these young guys haven't proven it either way. Yeah, I think it's an interesting situation where potentially all – teams that picked in the top five could come out happy with their picks in the future. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, I mean, that speaks to just how insanely good the top of this draft class is and how insanely lucky Sacramento was to jump up. Cause I mean, otherwise Wendell Carter Jr. is a good player, but I think that's who they would have taken if they had stayed at seven. And I'd so much have rather have had one of the top five guys than him. So I don't know. It speaks to the, the absolute star power of this draft and, and, Sacramento was really fortunate. Yeah, nothing to be angry about, uh, you know, in this draft. And I think the further we get back, uh, like you said, Brendan, I mean, everyone at the top of this draft is happy right now and probably will be happy for a long time. You can't say that about every draft. Um, But 2018 was stacked. And then 2017 was pretty damn stacked as well. And the Kings had, uh, well, they got a lot of picks out of this draft. Three of them are currently with the team, and one was uh, kept and traded. 2017, Kings picked up Darren Fox at 5, Justin Jackson at 15, Giles at 20, and Frank Mason at 34. So let's start with Fox here. And I'm going to ask you a loaded <laughs> question here, Brian. Who would you have taken at pick number five? You can you can lie. You can lie. It's okay. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. No, um, it's I'm okay. Un- <laughs> we don't I'm have to- out of my 2017 rankings. Um, I was stupidly low on De'Aaron Fox because even after watching a high number of his Kentucky games and his crazy strong March run, where he torched the SEC tournament and then just destroyed Lonzo Ball. 
uh, I was still really wary of De'Aaron Fox's shooting numbers. In the half court, in his one year at Kentucky, he shot 27% on all shots, on all jump shots, sorry, on all jump shots. And, you know, that that's up to 37% this year in the NBA, yeah. which is basically league average. So I should have trusted the dude with his work ethic to turn his shot around, but such a huge number of point guard busts over the last decade have been those dudes that couldn't shoot in college and never learned to shoot. Fox has learned to shoot and he's clearly one of the more driven guys in the league. So props to the Kings for recognizing that because they clearly got the, one of the top three players in the class. So they came out of it looking great. And uh, I don't even have to mention the guys that I had above him. (laughs) Yeah. We had a whole (laughs) podcast debating Fox over other sophomores in the league. And Rich was strong standing by that there was nobody he would take over De'Aaron Fox. I mean, the ones that you could throw in there are like Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, I feel like. And Tatum has definitely had a sophomore slump type year. But Mm -hmm. for the fit of this team, is there anybody that you would rather have over Fox? For this team, for how this team is built, no. It's De'Aaron Fox. And it's absolutely amazing that we can say that two years into this. You know, in a vacuum, if I'm building a team from scratch, maybe I'd take Donovan Mitchell if I wanted that uh, that elite score. Uh, but his efficiency this year hasn't been great. Uh, maybe i take Jason Tatum just because, you know, two-way wings of his caliber are just as valuable as anything in the league. But for what this team needed... For the leadership that he brings, for the the speed that he allows this King, team, Kings team to play at, he's just not only a culture changer, but he's a he's a tone changer. Like Kings can change everything they do based around De'Aaron Fox, and I know you can say that about the other two guys too. But this team has just needs De'Aaron Fox. He's perfect fit for this roster. Luke in the press conference, Vlade, everybody is talking about how, you know, they have a nice big, they have a shooter and buddy, and then they have the one of the fastest point guards in the entire league that their entire identity is around that they just run up and down the floor like crazy. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great building block for the future. Ab- the absolute best thing Luke Walton's walking into is having De'Aaron Fox in that locker room, bar none. Right. And I think a lot of the reason that I defended Fox over other sophomores, and in particular, the sophomore we're talking about for most of that was Ben Simmons, who obviously was drafted a year before this. (laughs) But, you know, I think a lot of his value does come from being able to give an identity to the team and the position of point point guard being so important to having a functional offense. And he's done that now. Um but again, like this is just this goes is kind of a lesson on how these draft classes can play out because a year ago I don't think that we'd be having anywhere near this type of conversation about Darren Fox. He really did struggle in his first year, like you pointed out. And I mean, at the time, even just last summer, I was higher personally on Lonzo Ball than Darren Fox. Yeah. I'll admit that. And listen, we all we all have sins to bear here, you know, in the, in the <laughs> NBA draft. All right, fine, fine. You'll make me say it. I was really high on Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> I would have taken him over De'Aaron Fox if I had been the GM of the Kings in 2007. So be thankful that Vladdy Bivak held that job, and I didn't. Well, and I you thought, would have been right for the first season. You really, you know, you would have been on track, really. Yeah, um, I'm never going to forgive the Mavericks for breaking up that Luca Dennis Smith Jr. combo so quickly. I mean, I think trading him for Porzingis was the right move, but. I mean, Luca needs a secondary ball handler to really be the star that I think he'll become. And I still think Dennis Smith Jr. is going to become a really solid starter in this league if he's picked up by a smart organization. So I'm really sad that that one cracked. But uh, going back on it, <laughs> no way do I take Dennis Smith Jr. over De'Aaron Fox. No way. Well, this is such a crazy draft because it is it is a very talented draft, but it's more deep than it is top heavy. Yeah. Obviously, you know, Fultz has i mean it's it, this is what's so crazy like we talk about these guys and it's it's like i still don't want to count fultz out ball has had his 
you know, injury issues for himself. Josh Jackson hasn't had any injury issues, but he's been just a disaster on the court. So the top four picks, I mean, you only really got Tatum out of that group that's, you know, excelled as of now. But you get deeper into this draft. And, yeah, this is kind of where the gold is struck. Um, And the Kings did have pick 10 and traded that down for 15 and 20. What were your thoughts when when that news broke, Brian? <laughs> well, it may have just been because I was higher on Malik Monk than Donovan Mitchell at that point, but this is always my least favorite of the draft hindsight questions, mainly because uh, um, I hate this because Mitchell wouldn't have been Mitchell and Fox wouldn't have been Fox if they'd been drafted together. And Buddy probably wouldn't have had the crazy year he would have, he did have, if he'd been in such a crowded backcourt. In a vacuum, the answer is they should have taken Donovan Mitchell and figured out the fit later. Uh, but the Kings couldn't have pulled that trigger a year ago and made this roster fit. So with Mitchell off the table, yeah, looking back, I think 10 for 15 and 20 was clearly the right move. Uh, mainly because I was super low on Zach Collins, who was the pick that they took and then traded him to uh, Portland for 15 and 20. Uh, I think he's clearly shown he can be a starter level defender, but that stretch big of it ability sure hasn't hit yet. Uh, and the 2017 class was uh, fairly deep. And I think the Kings did the right thing in making that pick swap. Just don't go back and read my old draft board because it totally doesn't have a line in there that says I've fallen out of love with the Kings trading back. And how do you think they made out? initially when you saw Justin Jackson 15 and then taking kind of a gamble at Giles at 20. Yeah. Retroactively, they should have clearly taken uh, Collins. He was another dude I was way too low on. I think I had him 15th uh, for a lot of the same reasons I had Bagley fifth. Uh, Didn't fully believe in his size. I was worried about his niche defensively. Didn't trust that jumper. Uh, Clearly that, that, and type of player archetype is a flaw in my evaluation chops. Justin Jackson was never a pick that I was really high on, mainly because I just didn't see how he would become a useful two-way player. And he just had only one good year where that shot was above average. And I think that translated into the NBA where we see how inconsistent a shooter he is. So I don't think the Kings got the Justin Jackson pick right, but they turned him in the Arizona Barnes, so nobody's really going to be complaining. Harry Giles was always a really sore spot for me because when I watched Duke, you know, you heard his story. He he was as hyped a player as any in that class, and you could always tell just from the interviews that he was, you know, the 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 great person that he is, and you really wanted to root for him. But when I watched him at Duke, it was just very clear that, man, this guy just is not look healthy. Um, and the Kings did right. Taking him at 20 and then resting him the year was the right move. And I think that as exciting a backcourt as this Marvin Bagley-Harry uh, Giles combo is, uh, I think that that longer-term gamble is really going to pay off for Sacramento. So. Uh, one of those picks ended up getting him Harrison Barnes, who's going to be a really nice fit for this team as they go on. And other one became the an excellent combination duo for uh, Marvin Bagley. So I think they made out of that draft like bandits. Yeah, this is tough because I have uh, a huge amount of respect and love for Harry Giles. And I'm so excited to watch him continue to try to reach his potential. And I do believe in him, but uh, it is scary. I mean, looking at this trade trading down, I mean, this could have backfired in a oh, huge yeah. way. But it also could have hit, you know. I mean, they could have landed. I mean, there's a lot of comment. This Again, this draft is deep, but they could have grabbed John Collins and Jared Allen and just, boom, there's your front court of the future. Yeah. Uh, OG and Anobi is a guy that I like on the wing. Cal yeah, Kuzma. he was the highest. He he was a new boy was uh Numbi was the highest dude on my draft board at that day, and I really wanted the Kings to take him. I still think he's going to become an incredibly incredibly high end defender, but you know any one of those guys would have been a better pick than Justin Jackson became. Yeah, I think you nailed that one. Yeah, it would have been nice to just have OG instead of 
Justin Jackson. And then, I mean, yeah, I mean, Kyle Kuzma, Derek White, Josh Hart, you know, all in this first round here. And then quickly touching on Frank Mason is a guy we really don't talk much about. Uh, what are your thoughts on him uh, going forward? Well, it's clear that, well, I was going to say it's clear that the Kings don't really think that he's a, a long-term fit. But, I mean, look, one might have a different opinion. Uh, especially for these, you know, these secondary guys whose futures are going to be decided. It's going to be really interesting to see what the Kings do and, and how Luke's, uh, values get shown in what they do with a guy like Frank Mason. I wish they had taken Thomas Bryant. He was 23rd on my board and man, would it be great if he had, if he was on this team right now. Uh, but you know, Jordan Bell would have been great. Monty Morris would just have been fantastic, much better for that. Uh, secondary uh, ball handler bench role. Uh, Frank Mason's a great guy. He's clearly a huge part of that Kings locker room. But two years in, missing on 34 is not the end of the world. But considering how deep that class was, it's a little disappointing. You can't underestimate the dance moves and the power of the Lydia. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah, you know, you absolutely love what Frank Mason does in that locker room because he's clearly as important as anybody, but not sure he's gonna be on the team next year so that's a tough one to kind of wrap our heads around i mean there's four picks there so you know so deep i mean so many ways i could have gone uh but if you had to slap a grade on that what are you going with well they hit on De'Aaron fox and harry giles and the harry giles red shirt year has really been paying off i'm not going to be one of those dudes that that says, oh, drafting Justin Jackson, absolutely let them get Harrison Barnes because everything is, you know, free floating. But for what those picks were, I'd give them a B plus, maybe an A minus because De'Aaron Fox was absolutely the right pick. Uh, yeah, A minus. De'Aaron Fox was absolutely the right pick. Harry Giles at 20 is going to pay off. And it doesn't really matter. Justin Jackson isn't on the team anymore. Frank Mason, you can miss on second round picks. I'm loving it, dude. And now we're heading to a much more questionable draft yeah. class overall. I think this was the most boring class since I've started doing big ports. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a weird one. So 2016, we'll we'll talk about it from the Kings' perspective here. They had the eighth pick uh, that turned into Marquise Chris, and he's not doing great. But I mean, who at that time? So Buddy and Jamal Murray had just been taken off the board. What was there? Who was? I mean, at that time, do you remember who your who your guy was? Who were you hoping for? Don't make me say it. I oh man, I didn't. I did, I'm not trying to lead you down these blind alleys. Uh, I had Timothy Luau seventh on my board, <laughs> which was really stupid in hindsight. Um, he was a guy I was kind of hoping they would snag at 13, but you okay. know what? All that matters is they got bogey out of that trade, and that was the right decision. I don't even remember who they took at 13, and I don't think any Kings fan needs to. Yeah, let's not talk about him. Yeah, let's just do, let's just do that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the good news is the Kings okay. that draft got the that draft got the Kings bogey. Yeah. And they ended up having either the second, third, or fourth best player in the class when they traded DeMarcus Cousins for uh, Buddy Hugh. So yeah. and, I mean, that draft class worked out for Zach. Yeah, it's just a rough – I mean, like, poor Phoenix with Dragon Bender at four. Mm. I think – yeah, I mean, Minnesota grabbed Chris Dunn, and now he's on Chicago. I think oh. they would want uh, that back. Don't bring up Chris Dunn. I think Chris Dunn is the reason why I was so why I was so scarred on boy he really can't shoot point guards because I loved Chris Dunn I thought he was going to be amazing but yeah that class was really pretty bad. At least if you look a little later, there's kind of some sleepers in there. I mean, a Karis Lavert at twenty. Yeah. There's Pascal Siakam who had oh, blown up geez. this year. Dejounte Good. Murray. Sabonis at 10 was great. Sabonis couldn't have been taken at 13, but I mean, you come out of that class with Levert or uh, Siakam at 13, man, we'd be talking about a completely different Kings team right now if they had hit on that pick. Uh, But, I mean, Buddy and Bogey came out of that class. That's all you need to know. 
Right. Even even uh, Malik Beasley has shown a little bit, and uh, depending on how you like Zubac, uh, you know, there's some guys in every draft, but yeah. this is this is one. I mean, man, I you know I didn't even realize that Scal was in this draft. Oh God, I just forgotten that Scal was in this draft too. I know it was was it part of the the same trade or was it a separate? I know he he was yeah. picked by Phoenix. It was uh, part of the same trade. It was okay. it was it was Marquise Chris for the thirteenth pick, the twenty eighth pick, and Bogdan. I mean that is besides the De'Aaron Fox selection. That is one hundred percent the best move that Vladi Divac has made as a as a GM, without question. And now I mean, we flipped- Scal didn't turn into anything, but whatever. Now we flip Scal into future uh, <laughs> first team All NBA Kayla Swanigan. So yeah, <laughs> here we go. Yeah, the king of versatility, right there. <laughs> Man, I loved, we are... in that, I loved in that Nets game. Oh no, it wasn't the Nets game. Um, see, that game was so bad that I blocked it out of my head. Yeah, the last Blazers game. I love that uh, Swanigan was coming in and, and like, no, Marvin, this is what you got to do. Yeah, he was. He was showing him stuff. It was awesome. It's like, hey, great for you, dude. But um, yeah, I think Marvin Bagley knows what he's doing in the paint a little bit more. He's like, first of all, you got to eat a little more. <laughs> yes, yes. And you got to pull up for twenty footers. <laughs> yeah. If you could take Caleb Squanigan's uh, uh, muscle mass and put that into Marvin Bagley's body, I mean, watch out. Yeah. Honestly, he should be his like dietitian this this offseason. Perfect. That would, Absolutely. That would be rad. That I read that he was 350 pounds in middle school. That's insane. Yeah, he was a fun player to watch in college. Yeah, when he was back at Purdue. Yeah, Purdue. Yeah. Okay, for a second yeah. I was like, "Oh, I've forgotten it." But yeah, he was he was one of those trendy uh, "Oh, maybe the Kings can get him in the second round." But yeah, whatever. He'll be on this team for another year. So me and Rich are a little split on this, and I'm starting to lean towards Rich's way a little bit. Do you have any faith in Simmons developing any sort of jump shot? Ben Simmons? Yeah. No, I don't. He's still going to be a a all-star level player, which is amazing to say for a dude in, in, in today's modern game without a jump shot. But, I mean, he's been here for three years. He would have showed something. It It would have started by now. I mean, maybe if, yeah, <laughs> maybe if Coach Brown leaves and, and the absolute pinnacle of right coaches comes in and just changes his mindset, but it's not, it's not just a decision not to shoot. It's it's ingrained in him. It's in his muscle memory. Right, that is how I feel. I mean, you look at the free throw percentage too. That's generally a decent indicator, and he's on fifty eight percent for his career. That's oh, not God. that great. So, yeah, I mean, that's not a guy that just decides not to shoot. It's like he's got a physical limitation there, I think. Uh, but he obviously was the best pick in this draft. Some people will tell you, some trendier people will tell you Siakam was the right pick. I saw that poll on Twitter the other day, and I was, like, losing my mind. But uh, pretty big drop-off there. Um, down to six and seven do you? What were your thoughts at the time between uh, Buddy Heald and Jamal Murray, and and how has that evolved? I had Buddy Heald at six, and I had Jamal Murray at five. Uh, it was basically a coin flip. Just do you want um, more of a secondary ball handler, extra youth, and and more scoring creation, or do you want hyper elite shooting? Uh, and I think right now. I don't necessarily know that either Sack or Denver would trade those players for each other. I mean, maybe the Kings would just because Buddy is four years older than Murray, but Buddy fits this Kings team so perfectly. And the Nuggets need Jamal Murray's creation ability much more than they need an elite shooter. So I think uh, both teams are probably happy with what they got. I don't think uh, New Orleans is probably happy with what they got, but. So Rich has exposed me on here before, but I'm kind of a Celtics fan at the same time. And I have such a soft spot for Jalen Brown. That is my favorite player on that team. I just get way too hyped whenever he does anything good. What were your initial impressions? I mean, he was just uh, so raw. I don't want to say it. He was he was eighth on my board. I just did not trust his shooting at all. 
Um, clearly, he's a different cat, and he's been much more driven in the NBA than he was in college. And honestly, he's become one of my favorite. Well, is there some way Sacramento could swing for the fences and get him? Because even with uh, Harrison Barnes now filling that small forward spot, Jalen Brown would just be fantastic for this team. Yeah, I wasn't high. I wasn't high on him, and it was a stupid retroactively. I know he had a down year this year, but I think he's going to bounce back in a real in a real way. He might be a second draft kind of guy. I don't know. You really think Boston's going to, uh, with all those all those contracts they got to sign in a couple of years, they, you think they'll pay uh, whatever Jalen Brown gets on the open market? I'm scared that he's part of an AD trade. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah. you get AD, you can't really complain. No, if it's the best, true. Like, I yeah. understand the mindset of Danny Ainge of wanting to trade for a, what is he, 26-year-old superstar and put him right next to your other 27-year-old superstar in Kyrie. Like, I can't blame him, but I'm just going to have to quietly root for the Pelicans a little bit there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's, he, people make it a lot out of the hell, kind of a, an odd cat he is, but... When he gets going, he's fun. So that's a tough one to get our our heads around there. Not so much because there's so many guys and so many options, but kind of there was so few draft picks and so few options. But incorporating the trade into it, because really what we're doing here is, is grading Vlade uh, at the end of the day. I'm assuming this is not going to be an A necessarily, but what, what are you assigning yeah. here for 2016? Uh, I would give the trade itself. An A plus. Like I said, it was the best move that Vladi's made. Not going to praise his actual drafting with the three picks he had in that class because he also had um, Malachi Richardson at twenty three. I mean, <laughs> Charlotte right. just gives up a first round pick for Marco Bellinelli, and and you can't hit on any of those on any of the three first round picks you had that year. So drafting, I mean, none of those guys are on the Kings anymore. That's an F. But That's a great trade point. Itself, trade itself got the team bogey, and of the four players that were involved in that trade, bogey is clearly far and away the best player. So that year was a B plus. Fair enough. Now we are headed to probably the most controversial draft, and the guy that we keep coming back to. <laughs> uh, hopefully, we don't need to drag it out too far, unless, unless you want to, Bryant. Feel free nope. to. To go off I'm, as much as you want. I'm just going to fully admit that Willie Collistown was the dude I wanted that year. And I'm always going to wonder how Willie would have developed in a situation that didn't throw three, co- four coaches at him in his first two years. But I, I loved his defensive versatility. He, believe it or not, back at, when he was playing at Kentucky, his, his hands were up on defense. I mean, yeah. that was a real thing. <laughs> he he was actually like protecting the rim sometimes, and and you can just watch him like swallow up guards in the open court. Like, it was hard to see a guy like that not panning out. But I mean, Willie is his own dude, and we don't have to say anything more than that because this will surprise nobody. But I agreed with everything you guys said in your Willie Colley Stein breakdown. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to say I put out a tweet literally probably an hour ago that if Miles Turner was the center of this team right now, I would be so ecstatic. He literally mm-hmm. gets everything that we yeah. want in the center. Yeah, uh, I was pretty – I wasn't – where did I have him? I think I had him like 11th that year, and I was low on him just because he wasn't quite as hel- – he wasn't healthy that his, his college years. Uh, but – He's certainly the well, except for Devin Booker. Yeah, I mean Miles Turner would have been the much better big man pick. So I agree with you there. And he's still so young. I he just turned twenty three. I feel like Miles Turner is still trending upwards as a player. He's taking a big yeah. step forward defensively this year. It just he feels like him and Sabonis feels like such a great tag team there. Uh, as big men in Indiana, and they they definitely like those feel like guys that I would just uh, if I I wish the Kings had either of those guys, but you know to be fair, 
reading the names after Willie on this draft, it's not – there wasn't much there. Like Emmanuel Moutier, Stanley Johnson, Frank Kaminsky were the next three names. No, there's second-round picks that surprised me, actually. I just realized, like, Montrez Harrell and mm. Josh Richardson, yeah. both I did not realize were in this draft. Yeah, th- this was a class that a whole bunch of those, you know, diamonds in the rough showed up. And uh, it was kind of a shame to Sack couldn't grab one of those. It's been a while since Sack grabbed a diamond in the rough. I mean, Willie was the dude I wanted. Willie was kind of smart money for who I think he was at the time, but certainly not for who he became. Yeah, it's tough to be hard on the Kings for this pick. Obviously, Towns, Russell, and Porzingis went before him, uh, who turned into good players, and then Okafor and Hazonia, not so much. But it, I don't know if at the time the Kings were really considering anyone else that did that much better. Like you said, there's questions about Turner. Uh, Devin Booker went 13, but that feels like a different tier of guys behind Willie Cauley-Stein. I don't know. I mean, was he? were people sniffing around Devin Booker uh, in Sacramento at the time? I don't think so. Not top of my head, I don't know if he came in for a workout, but he was the ultimate held back a Kentucky guy. He wasn't who he was in, in college. He became in Phoenix. So, Yeah, and arguably, I mean, Willie still could be a top 10 player in this draft. I mean, that's how thin <laughs> this draft yeah. gets at points. Um, I, there is nothing I want to see more than Willie go to like San Antonio or something and just and have a coach sit him down and be like, no, you're going to play this way. You're going to do this. You're going to put your hands up. We're going to lock you into a role, and we don't want you to think that you're something that you're not. I want somebody smart with a with you know a real game plan of how to use him on defense to try to work with him. Because I mean, I want to see the dude succeed, but I just I don't ten top ten maybe possible, but. I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it. Yeah. So you agree that it's pretty much, I mean, it's not a physical limitation thing. It's not a tools thing. It's, it's something effort oriented. Uh, I, I mean, I'm always going to go back to that. He smacked his hand so hard on the rim that he cut his hand open. I mean, I'm never going to know if in the same situation that would cause me to hesitate on jumping and stuff, but it, it is. It's it's all mental for Willie Cauley-Stein. I hate saying that because he clearly has you know the moments where he wants to be good. I mean, one of the things I'm going to remember most this year was that that Mavericks game in Sacramento where Willie was just like, "No, I am guarding Luca. I'm going to swallow him up." And that was the dude that I wanted them to draft in 2015, but he didn't become that player. So best of luck to him, but. Like you guys, I I hope he isn't in a Sacramento uniform next year. I mean, we've talked about it a couple times. It's just frustrating because, like you're talking about, there's that potential all there. I saw a question on Reddit, and you kind of touched on this, but just someone saying that if Willie Cauley-Stein was drafted into this team and not the old Kings with Boogie and all those coaching changes, that the guy thinks he would be a lot better player if he just developed in a healthy environment. Do you think that yeah. would be a major part in it? I definitely do. I'm always going to, he's going to be one of those dudes. I always wonder if he'd had the right situation, if he'd had, you know, a, a, a structure and not DeMarcus Cousins, how he would have developed, especially on a team this fast. Uh, but I mean, there's nothing much more to say about him, just than hope he turns it around. So give us a grade there for the 2015 draft and then. Slap a grade on this whole thing, this whole Vlade tenure. We can we can do draft specific, so that's draft picks and draft night trades. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, retroactively, you got to give this one a C. Well, he wasn't a, a major bust, but he's not going to be on the. I mean, he might be, but I don't think it's a guarantee that he is on this team at, uh, after his rookie year, uh, after his rookie contract. So he can't give that higher than a C. As far as drafting, I mean, he's had absolute highs, uh, you know, trade and getting De'Aaron Fox, 
snagging Harry Giles at 20 and, and redshirting him a year with Smart. Being as high as they were on Buddy, I know that they didn't make that trade with Phoenix until they were sure that uh, Buddy Heald wasn't going to fall to eight. I mean, he got great players in the last four years. This rebuild wouldn't be where it was if he hadn't made those smart uh, those smart maneuvers. So in terms of draft grades, I'd give him a B. And in terms of uh, draft night trades, I'd probably give him an A just because, again, I mean, the big one was getting uh, bogey and 10 for 15 and 20 ended up working out for Sack. So uh, I think the best thing about Vladi's tenure so far is that he's hit on the big picks. And obviously the Marvin Bagley one is still somewhat up in the air with his talented a class as he was in. But this rebuild is flourishing because Vladi Yuvat has done uh, more good things than than mistakes on draft nights. So props to him. So those were some pretty kind words for Vlade. And I don't mean to bring it down a notch, but there's one more draft related move here. Oh, that's right. That we got to talk about. Technically a draft move. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you, yeah, I'm not sure if we'd lump it into the grading system because it wasn't a draft night. Yeah maneuver and it, and it technically it hasn't happened yet so to tie this all together and to move forward uh into the upcoming 2019 draft the kings don't own their first round pick it was completely unprotected luckily it's only the 14th pick that the kings are giving up um, i guess yeah. technically we'll knock on some wood here and say that there's still a lottery to be done but oh, it's <laughs> i mean that is uh, still terrifying that is, I mean, lottery too. honestly, honestly, I don't even, we won't even, we'll shut this podcast down uh, if that happens. Cause I'll, <laughs> if you'll try to listen to an episode, it'll just be me screaming into a microphone. But this upcoming pick, I mean, how much does not having that pick hurt in this particular draft class? It hurts. Anyone who says it doesn't hurt is wrong. And I'm saying that as a guy who's not crazy high in this draft class. Uh, but there are dudes in the 14th pick range that could really help the Kings. I mean, Brandon friggin' Clark is uh, is just an absolute beast. He's my draft crush, and that's weird to say about a Gonzaga guy because I am a loyal St. Mary's alumni, and I should dislike all Gonzaga players, but he's just one of the most amazing college players I've seen in the last couple of years. And if he goes to the Celtics at pick 14, I'm just going to throw things. He's basically an undersized 6'8 center, but he's one of the smartest defensive players I've seen in college. He's an elite athlete, and he's got that game-breaking motor that leads me to trust he'll continue working and becoming an offensive threat. Uh, But even if he goes before pick 14, I mean, Jackson Hayes could have been a dude that slides in, adds rim protection skills, and it isn't that missing third big for Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles to play with. And then you've got plenty of wing scorers. I wouldn't want to be the GM that has to put his career on the line to pick the star out of the Cam Reddish, Nasir Little, Romeo Langford, Kevin Porter group. But I'd sure like to be that GM sitting at 14 who could snag whichever one of those guys fell. It is a detriment to Sacramento that they don't have their pick this year to help take this offseason to the next level. Uh, Thankfully, like you said, it's 14 and not like five or something, but whatever. That was the worst move of Lottie's tenure, and uh, they'll pay for it. They won't pay for it as hard as they could have, but they'll still pay for it. Do you agree that in this draft that it's really those top three, and then after that it's kind of a same-level type guys after that? It's it's top one. Whoever gets Zion, that's it. Yeah. Uh, I like John Morant. I really do. I think he can be a, a very an above-average uh, lead guard, but he's not the same tier. If I if I had picks two through six or something, I'd desperately be trying to trade down just for my own. Well, maybe if I had picked two and I really needed a point guard, but I mean, other than that, I'm not trusting this draft class. I like R.J. Barrett. Uh, I think that he became uh, underappreciated by draft Twitter just because the nature of his game leads and leads for uh, overreaction to inefficiency and bad shots but i really think he'll become a much better nba player but am i 
devastated that my team doesn't have the third overall pick to have to select him? Nah, not really. So overall, do you feel that this draft class is weak? Or or I guess, you know, coming off of the highs of 2017-18, how much of a drop-off are we seeing in quality this upcoming year? This is a definite downgrade from the last couple of years. Aside from uh, the almighty Thanos manifested into Duke Blues, this class is volatile. Plenty of these guys will go on to become great NBA players, but this isn't the stable lottery class of 2018. Gotcha. Well, what we do have uh, is pretty deep. You know, the Kings do have picks 40, 47, and 60. Can you give us some, maybe before we get into any any specific players, what are your goals for player types there? Or are you looking to trade up or trade down or trade around and trade uh, uh, forward some years here? What What are your big picture goals for these second round picks? Uh, I'd set the goal on a, getting one solid rotation player. Uh, that may not be completely likely, but at least the Kings get three cracks at it, assuming they stand pat on their collection of picks. I mean, this draft class is going to be a huge test for the Sacramento scouting department. I mean, they've only added and kept one second rounder in Vladi Divac's tenure, who that actually ended up playing. That's Frank Mason. It'll be super important to see who the Kings work out this year. It'll give us a real indication of who, or I guess, like you said, more importantly, what type of player they're targeting. I don't necessarily know that trading the three picks for an earlier pick is realistic, just because that doesn't really happen that much. Uh, maybe the Kings can swing it, and I would love them to, because it put you know, getting into the 25 to 30 range gets them in range of my three draft crushes, which are Cam Johnson, uh, Admiral Schofield and uh, Matisse Thibel. You know, it, it, like like you, Rich, I'm I'm enamored with those guys that are six, eight and can, uh, you know, provide multi-positional versatility. And uh, I think all three of those guys would be really big helps to Sacramento that, I mean, Harrison Barnes is great. Harrison Barnes is a key addition, but King could really use another uh, solid uh, wing. And that's kind of what I hope they target. I think they'll probably end up targeting a stretch big. Uh, maybe they'll go for a guy like Naz Reed from LSU or uh, Iki Kiss from uh, Michigan, both very capable shooters and prove they could hit from deep. But I think it's really going to be key just to watch them you know, who are they bringing in? Who who are they targeting? What are what kind of players are they targeting? Are they targeting rim protectors? Because there aren't going to be that many in the second round, except for maybe uh, Sagaba Kanate. Oh, no. No, 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 so, no. Tagovas is not an NBA player. Let's just say that right now. I just, yeah. I just love the name. And a 7'6 yeah. guy? I mean, you talked about rim protector. Give me. Like, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, he'd be a rim protector if he could uh, get to the rim before everybody else could. <laughs> That's fair. You know, and I know Rich said not to talk about names, but one of my favorite targets is uh, Oregon's Lewis King. Uh, he's a skinny wig. He started off the season slowly for Oregon due to an injury, but he really got going at the end of the year. Um, through the Pac-12 tournament where Oregon swept and, and won and surprisingly won the conference tournament. And then they made that sweet 16 run. He averaged 16.5 points, five rebounds, 46% from the field and 50% from deep. He looks like the part of a future three level scorer. I don't really have a ton of certainty about his efficiency, but he's got length shooting quick driving. Uh, I would love to see him at 40. I don't know if that's really realistic. He's one of those kind of guys that I think could serve, jump draft boards and go in the light first but uh that's the problem with falling in love with uh, the wings in this class it's, it's very likely that you know they're so necessary in today's modern nba that i think uh there's a real chance that all the best wings go before sacramento can snag any of them at 40 can we get your full endorsement on admiral showfield here though can oh, we absolutely. get absolutely okay 100 i regret bringing his name into the king's draft fold because I don't think he lasts until pick 40, but 
if the Kings were to trade up and snag him, oh, heck yeah. He's a little undersized. I mean, 6'5 isn't going to be uh, hyper efficient for today's wing, but God, that guy's fun to watch. Just that name, man. Sign me up. <laughs> I'm, I'm already. I'm just so all aboard. Like, I just want. I want to be a part of Schofield's Navy. You know. I mean, can we do that here? I think he should go with <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, and then we'll have Admiral Schofield and General Soreness. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I can see the military theme jerseys already. Stoked yeah, on and that. he's one of those. He's one of those kind of guys that would just immediately uh, sink in the Sacramento's locker room. I mean, he's got that gym rat mentality that pretty much all the non-Collie Stein picks have had in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So I've got I've to throw this out there, though, as an idea. I know you mentioned that you didn't see trading up as something that's super likely, and it's not. I mean, it, it's pretty rare that it happens – Although I'll point this out, um, I saw on Twitter people talking about how the way that Tankathon values each of their draft picks, they basically have 40, 47, and 60 as being pretty much equal to pick 30. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an interesting case to be made here that Milwaukee might not want to pick 30th. Just simply because of the guaranteed money, that factor – and kind of needing to fill out the back of their roster if they're going to keep all these or as many of these big money players uh, in the fold as possible. You know, there's a lot of teams that, you know, competitive teams, like real, you know, real contenders that want to have three or four guys at the end of the roster that are kind of, you know, they're kind of disposable, at least in terms of guaranteed money. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's insane to think that Milwaukee would want you know, 40, 47, and maybe a future, you know, a decent-looking 2020, 2021, something like that. Or maybe San Antonio sees three All-Stars in the second round. <laughs> yeah, they're the only team that can do that, apparently, so they might as well. That's that's some good insight, Rich. Maybe that's possible, and you don't have to sell me on uh, the value in trading up. I mean, snag any one of those dudes I mentioned. Uh, Cam Johnson from UNC, I absolutely love. I think he's the best shooting player. It has the best shot of any player in this class. Um, so Kings, if the Kings can trade up and snag one of those combo wings, then I'd be absolutely all for it. Yeah, it works for me. Everyone that you mentioned, I'm literally just writing names down. Not the, not the first, <laughs> first 30, you know. I've done my research there. But second half of the draft... Man, there's just too much to keep up with trying to watch 82 games across 30 teams in the NBA and college. I can't do it. Yeah, well, this class is going to be really interesting because armchair scouting has been, um, I mean, the Papayanis pick was, uh, a, you know, such a huge surprise. But for the most part, the other Sacramento selections have been, you know, dudes that armchair scouts were obviously paying attention to. Uh, I think. This year is just going to be really key to see who they bring in for workouts and try to assess those players from there. Because you know, second round pick, it's going to be it's going to be a crapshoot. You know, we almost went the entire podcast without mentioning his name. Yeah, I, <laughs> as soon as I said it, I was like, "Oh no, I broke it." <laughs> Might get beeped out. Yeah, you should just do that. <laughs> Nobody knows who I'm talking about. So. The closing question I've been asking people, unless there's anything else you want to touch on on the draft or anything like that for either one of you two. I think we covered it pretty well. Obviously, it's playoff time right now. This is hopefully the last season that Sacramento's not playing basketball this time of year. Do you have a playoff team? I, I was sneakily cheering for the Warriors only because I really wanted to see DeMarcus win. You know, there's something about Milwaukee, a small market team, just really finally putting it together and becoming a titan in that East. I would love a Golden State uh, Milwaukee matchup just because that would be so much fun. I think if I think Milwaukee's my team. I think that we 
deserve to get a little bit of hate for all three of us kind of rooting for the Warriors, to be honest. <laughs> well, it's not because it is only DeMarcus. That is all. Yeah. 100% and all. <laughs> yeah, and poor guy, dude, for going down again. I know. And <laughs> looking to get paid, you know, just... Yeah, it, it is absolutely heartbreaking because dude did everything right this year. Absolutely everything right. Wait, so Brendan, you're still rooting for the Warriors, like the this current iteration of the Warriors, the KD Warriors? Well, no, 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 no. Hold on. All I'm saying is that <laughs> I got a whole lot of family that's rooting for the Warriors. Okay. <laughs> to not tune in and watch those games. Don't get me wrong. I am rooting for the Clippers to pull off this upset more than anything in the world. Oh, yeah. It's not going to happen. I honestly don't think the Clippers win another game of this series after that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I- I'm not going to say I'm a Warriors fan. I think that this is the last year, and I want KD out of there. Then maybe I will have a little bit of more of a soft spot for the Warriors when it's Steph's team again. Yeah. You know, I'll throw this out there since we're musing on the subject. I mean, do you think it's more likely that KD leaves if they lose or if they win? I think he's gone either way. Okay. I think it's the same percentage either way. That that makes me happy. So. Yeah. I mean, it's odd because you you know the old the old common sense of star players aren't leaving a championship team, but <laughs> this is a dynasty. We know this is a championship team. Kevin Durant knows if he's leaving, he's leaving a team that will has a ninety percent chance of winning the championship every year unless somebody gets hurt. No, I, I think either way he's leaving. Yeah, I'm probably the same there. I think that maybe there's a little more chance he stays if they win, just to keep it going. To me, it feels like either way that he's headed to likely New York, just for the sake of his legacy, to say that he brought basketball back to Madison Square Garden, blah, 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 hopefully take them to a finals and just go... MVP mode Durant again. And I think it'll be great for basketball to have Durant and Steph on their own teams again. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he just seems pissed. Like, you'd see Durant just isn't, he seems checked out, like, not in games, but around the guys. He just, he doesn't, he seems like he's got a foul mood on all the time. Uh, I think you're right. I think he is, I think he is out. And hopefully the Clippers land two guys. That way they can't pay. Beverly, because if they're only getting like a Kawhi Leonard, oh my God, they're definitely keeping Patrick Beverly. Beverly and Leonard would be the most annoying team in the league to play. So here's hoping they get two guys. I don't think the West needs any more help to be that stacked. So I think that that is going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Bryant, for taking the time and breaking down the draft a little bit. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. A big fan of what you guys are doing. Appreciate it. And you will hear from us again on Monday. Make sure to send us some questions either on Twitter, follow us at Kings underscore Pulse, or on the Reddit thread on reddit.com slash r slash Kings. We have a Q&A thread that is at the top of the page there where you can ask us questions. Those will be answered on the episode Monday. Thank you for listening, guys.